Good morning, Christ Church. I welcome you on this bright and beautiful fall day, and I'm aware that we have candy in the courtyard, a family event right after this, so I'm going to do everything that I can to get you out there to eat hamburgers and to enjoy each other. I hope that everyone will stay. I think they're cooking like a thousand hamburgers. How many of you are a little bit hungry? Shouldn't have said that right before I preach, should I? I'm going to have people leaving. Uh, as we enter into this season of Thanksgiving, I want to take this opportunity, because I may not have another one for a while, to say that I am grateful for our lay leader, Greg Spilliards, and his, not only the content in which he shared, but the spirit that he shares, which I think embodies the spirit of our congregation and our leadership. I'm very grateful for our, our spiritual leaders that you saw that stood before you this morning. I'm so grateful, eternally grateful, that the Lord has brought Pastor Paul and Missy to Christ Church. What a gift they are, and he is a pleasure to work with on a daily basis. I do want to give you a very good praise report. Pastor Paul's daughter got married yesterday, and he made it through the service, even crying, he made it through the service. And they also had an unexpected gift. Their daughter-in-law was induced on Thursday night, and now they have their first grandchild, Jacob Cheney Lawler. And so be thankful that today for new life uh, in their family. I also want to take the privilege to say to you, I'm grateful for you as a congregation. So grateful for your faithfulness and your loyalty and your love for our Lord Jesus. In that spirit this morning, I want to continue our series, Ecclesia. And I want to talk about how the Ecclesia, the church, is a praying people. When we first moved to Memphis, I couldn't help but notice a house right down the street from where we lived that was all broken down. I imagine that that house had not always been that way. A few decades earlier, any one of us would have been more than happy to call that house ours and to make it our home. But when I first saw that house 11 years ago, it was an absolute mess. The windows and the doors were broken and in shambles. The paint was peeling, the soffits were sagging, the tree limbs were dragging the ground so low that you could hardly see the house from the street. The roof was ruined and the yard was terribly overgrown. It was in bad need of repair. And I'm talking about just what I could see. That's just the outside. I couldn't even imagine what the inside of that house might look like. And every time I passed that house on my walk, I thought of 1 Kings 18 and the horrible condition that Elijah found the nation of Israel in when he arrived on the scene. It was a mess. The nation was a mess. The people were a mess. And he comes out of nowhere like a white tornado with a message to deliver from Yahweh to this, these people who existed in an absolute mess. His message was turn back to God. God sent Elijah to the nation to rescue them from the rapid and ravaging moral and spiritual decline under evil king Ahab. Ahab was something else. The Bible says King Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of the kings before him. He provoked the anger of the Lord by his detestable sins. 
He not only committed those sins, but the Bible says in 1 Kings 16, verse 30, that he thought his sins were trivial. It's one thing to sin. We all struggle in our lives with having a sin nature, and we know the reality, the profound reality of what it's like to struggle with sin. But it's quite another thing to celebrate our sins and to consider them as no big deal in the eyes and heart of a holy God. I'm so grateful this morning that the supernatural hand of God was on his servant, Elijah. When he appeared on the scene, miracles began to happen. The first miracle was that a widow who was about to run out of bread dough and cooking oil received a miraculous supply that lasted her over three years. A lot of things make me happy, but if my bride, Tanya Carter, went to the grocery store today and we didn't have to go back to the store for three years, this would be the happiest man on the planet. Amen? (laughs) The Bible says the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not dry up. It just kept on going. It was always enough. And if groceries keep going up, We're going to need this miracle again. The second miracle was that a little boy who'd gotten very sick, and Scripture says that he stopped breathing. He was raised from death. The Bible says Elijah cried out to God on behalf of this little boy and his mother, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. What a miracle to witness. And the third miracle was that fire fell from heaven when Elijah prayed. Now I have to tell you, no matter what you consider as prayer, that's some good praying when fire falls from heaven. That's praying until something happens. As the old timer says, that's praying through. Well, you know that Elijah had to pray through because he was getting ready to fulfill one of the hardest missions that he would accomplish. He had to confront evil King Ahab and boy did he. The Bible tells us that there's a contest, the duel of the gods. It's one of the most incredible battles that's ever happened in human history on Mount Carmel. In this corner were the 450 prophets of Baal. In this corner was Elijah and his God, Yahweh. And Elijah set the parameters For the duel, Baal's prophets and Yahweh's prophet were to set their altars. They were to lay their sacrifice on the altars of God, the gods they served. Both sides were to pray to their gods. And the God who answered by fire was going to be considered the real deal. Elijah being the gentleman that he is and was, and so confident in the one and only true God, Yahweh, said to the prophets of Baal, losers go first. the prophets of Baal set their altar, the Bible says. It says they danced around that altar and they chanted their incantations and many of them even cut themselves. A pagan custom that still goes on today that the origins of that is the spirit of Baal, which is still alive in our world today. And they called on their worthless, false god, for the fire to fall. And the Bible says there was no response. 
No one answered and no one paid attention. Baal didn't have enough power to start a fire, even to roast a marshmallow, because he wasn't real. And then Elijah said, It's Yahweh's turn. It's my turn. And he said to all the people that were standing around witnessing this duel, he said, I want you to come here to me because I want to show you how to experience the power of God in your life. God's people need to know how to move the heart of God so that the fire of God can fall again. We live in a very conflicted world, in a culture that's upside down, that's lost its identity, and in many ways the church itself has lost her identity because we've forgotten to seek God and pray for Him to show up in ways that only He can accomplish miracles. Elijah said they came to Him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Let me say that again, Maxie Dunham style. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. The altar to Yahweh was all broken down, just like that house I told you about, once a beauty, but now in absolute ruins. The text says that Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, and built an altar in the name of the Lord. He repaired the ruined altar. Altars are very significant in the life of a church. They serve a purpose that's far beyond uh, putting flowers on. They really, the altar is mentioned over 400 times in Holy Scripture, and it represents something. It is a special place for God's people to have an encounter with Himself. It's a place to remember what the Lord has done and to give thanks for all that He's done. As we enter into this season of November very shortly, how many of you would love to see the weeds of ingratitude pulled out of your heart and for flowers of thanksgiving and gratitude to grow in your language with God? Amen? I think two people raised their hand. I said, how many people are grateful for all that God has done for you? Truly his hand has been upon us. The altar is a place to sacrifice and to surrender self. It's a place to dedicate our lives to God. It's a place to maintain a strong relationship with God. And finally, if you wanted to summarize the, what the altar represents, it's a place to pray. The altar had not always been broken down. There was a time in the history of Israel when the altar was in tip-top shape and it was used and it was the place of power that represented how God came in response to the prayers of his people. Abraham used to build altars everywhere that he went. That was the first thing he did when he visited some place, is he built an altar. And when he revisited that place on a tour back through his journey, the Bible says he would revisit that altar first thing because Abraham knew that he could not live without an altar in his life. We know that Scripture says that it was at the altar that Moses met with God. It was at the altar that Joshua received direction about how to conquer Jericho. It was at the altar that Gideon found the courage to fight the Midianites. 
It was at the altar that Samson discovered the source of his real strength. It was at the altar that Samuel literally saved the nation from destruction. And folks, I could go on and on with example after example. It was at the altar that many others met with God. But here's what we see in the life of the nation of Israel. Now the altar was broken down and in bad need of repair. And I want to say this to you in case it's not obvious. The altar is just not what we see here. The altar is any place that we can seek God to have an encounter with Him. It's any place that we intentionally go to and say, God, I hunger for relationship with you. It can be the beach. Somebody say amen. It can be your lake house. It can be your desk at your office. It can be walking at Shelby Farms. It can be eating and enjoying a meal at your table and seeing God in the precious people that he's planted and put in your life. It can even happen in church where God speaks. And this can become a special place to have an encounter with God. I don't know anybody who's really getting along very well who isn't seeking the heart of God. Some questions. And the purpose of this message today is not to guilt anyone concerning your prayer life. Because it's so much easier for all of us to talk about prayer than it is to actually pray. So these questions are to invite us into relationship with the Lord. Because he wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from his people. We are the ecclesia of praying people. I wonder if the altars of our lives are broken down and in bad need of repair. The ones in here. Have we gotten used to being less than our best for God because we neglect his altar? And is this neglect the reason there is such little sacrifice, such little surrender, such little dedication, and such little prayer? Samuel Chadwick, the great Puritan preacher, once said, the one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. How many of you believe there's power when you pray in the name of Jesus? God's church, us, we are the ecclesia. We are a praying people. Jesus said himself, we should always pray and never give up. Paul said, devote yourselves to prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. He says, pray in the spirit on all occasions. He says, pray without ceasing. The writer of Hebrews says, approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. James says, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective and availeth much. When Peter and John were released from being interrogated by the Sanhedrin council, after being threatened for preaching in Jesus' name, 
They, when they were released, they went immediately to a house church to where there were other followers of Christ. They reported that they had been let go and had been released. And the Bible says that all of them together raised their voices together towards heaven and they prayed and they prayed this prayer, God, continue through the name of your holy servant Jesus to heal and work miraculous signs and wonders in the lives of people who are broken and need to be put back together again by your power and your grace. And I love what it says here. You're talking about a prayer meeting. You're talking about the fire falling. The Bible says that when they finished praying that prayer, that the whole house they were in was shaken. Folks, we live in a day and an hour where the people of God, a praying people, need to be praying, God, shake the house again. Bring the fire again. Because we've got problems we're not going to be able to solve in a boardroom. We've got family issues that it's going to take the direct intervention of the Holy Spirit working on our behalf to pull hearts into the kingdom. Am I preaching to anybody this morning at all? E.M. Bounds, a great Methodist preacher, the pastor of the First Church Franklin in Franklin, Tennessee in the late 1700s, he said it this way, I believe that what the church needs today is not more or better machinery or more novel methods. She needs Christians whom the Holy Spirit can use. Christians of prayer. Christians mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through people. He does not come on machinery, but on people. He does not anoint plans, but people. People of prayer. Can you remember in the last 30 days getting before God all by yourself and just laying your life before him and saying, Lord, I'm yours. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. In the last 30 days, have you spent even a few minutes in really urgent prayer? I think of urgent prayer in terms of crying out to God or pouring your heart out to God. And one of my favorite verses is Lamentations 2.19 in which the phrase cry out and pour out are in the very same verse. Jeremiah says, Arise, cry out in the night. Pour your heart out like water in the presence of the Lord. And it's become a revelation in my own heart that we've spent so much time trying as the body of Christ and his leadership of the church. We've tried to teach prayer. It's a very hard thing to teach. And I'm more convinced than ever that you can't teach people to pray. You can talk about principles. You can talk about promises. You can give tools. But real prayer comes out of a whole environment of felt need. It's almost as if we, as the people of God, have to be driven to pray. Crying out to God affirms our dependence on God. The psalmist says in 62 verse 8, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. God, help us to be more dependent on You. Crying out to God suggests an intensity of spirit. There's an intensity to crying out prayer. 
The psalmist again in 119 says, I cry out with my whole heart. I cry out to you, save me. I cry for help. We must learn again to cry out to the source of true help. There are a lot of places on this earth that I love to go. One of my favorite places is Cage Cove in the Smoky Mountains National Park. I'd like to be there today. It's just absolutely a beautiful place. Years ago on a visit to Cage Cove, I saw a mother bear and her cubs feasting in a row of wild cherry trees. Each one of them had picked their own tree. They climbed it and they were picking that, those trees absolutely clean. It was so fun to watch them feast. And I was one of the first spectators, but soon a very huge crowd gathered until the cubs began to get really, really nervous. And as the crowd pressed in, they started crying out like babies. And soon, just as soon as their cries reached Mama Bear's ears, she came bolting down that cherry tree to come to their aid and split that crowd in a thousand directions. People that hadn't run in years started running for cover like they were original chariots of fire members. And I stood there watching that, and I thought, you know, those cubs knew the source of their help. And their intense cry got to mama's ears and to mama's attention and everybody else's. Now I want to say this to you, and I'm trying to wrap it up. Sometimes this crying out is not an audible noise. I've had that experience of being so numb and so tired that I haven't found prayer to be that easy. And it didn't start out audibly. It started out as sort of a groan in my heart, sort of a plea to God to help me because I could not help myself. Sometimes crying out is an inward cry that boils over after you spend time with the Lord. It's a yearning and a burning after more of God, a deepening of desire for God to show up and do great and mighty things. It was the spirit like this, this inward cry that Hannah is the best illustration of. Her womb was barren. It was fruitless. And in that time, it was a big deal to have a baby. It's a big deal now. But if you couldn't have a baby then, you felt like a second-class citizen. And she was grieving. And she was crying out to God. The priest Eli saw her lips moving but he couldn't hear a voice and he went up to her and he said Hannah you are drunk you're at the house of the Lord you need to stop drinking so much she said Eli I'm not drunk I am pouring my heart out to the Lord right now and folks we are a praying people We've been called to cry out, whether that's in an audible fashion or whether that's in an inward cry of our spirit, showing our dependence upon God, the intensity of our spirit. An elderly black lady said it best. She said the trouble with lots of our prayers is that they ain't got no suction. That lady's not talking about tone or volume. She's talking about urgency and intensity. We need to go to God and stay there until we drive our prayers into our doubts and 
our fears and our insecurities and any other problem that we have, knowing that there is power in prayer in Jesus' name. Crying out to God suggests an intentionality of spirit. Most of us think maybe someday in the distant future I'll be moved to pray. And we wait on this feeling. Don't do that because it will never happen. God's not going to zap you. He's asking you to make prayer an intentional time with Him in the morning, day and night. Whenever He prompts you, turn your face towards God and pray. Crying out to God distinguishes the faithful from the unfaithful. Unfaithful Israel thought they knew God, but God said, you do not know me because you do not cry out from the heart. You've turned to other gods. In the last 30 days, have you cried out, Oh God, fill me with the power of your Spirit. I have to have it. I can't leave your presence until you fill me. In the last 30 days, have you cried out with passion for your family? God, touch my family. Bring them to you. Bring my family together in you. Bless our mess, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever you have to do. Bless this mess. Fill your church again, Lord. I want to close with this story. A composition teacher asked the class to write about an unusual event that happened during the past week. And one little boy worked very hard on his essay, and he got up and began to read his essay to the class, and it began this way. Daddy fell in the well last week. The teacher looked at the little boy and she said, My goodness, son, is he all right? The little boy said, He must be. He stopped yelling for help yesterday. <laughs> Please hear me. Some of us have quit crying out because we've become discouraged and we've become weary. The enemy's sustained attack against us has worn us slap out, as my grandmother used to say. And it's so easy to stop crying out. Please don't do that. Keep coming before the Lord because it's crying out, it's pouring our heart out to the Lord that keeps us alive in Him when things are really hard and sometimes impossible. One writer says it's commonly Sadly common for Jesus to become someone we talk about rather than someone we talk to. The Lord wants to hear from us. And he also wants to speak to us. In the last 30 days, have you taken time in the midst of rattling off your list to God to stop and to say to God, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. I've told you what I have to say. I want to hear from you. If you have anything to say to me, open my ears up and help me to say it. Have we become so sophisticated today that we've forgotten how to cry? Are we so skilled in the art of suppression that we've learned to live lives of quiet desperation? Well, today, this very day, Maybe it will begin a new day in our lives.
where we learned again to pour our hearts out to our Lord. He cares. Well, the end of the story, when Elijah repaired the altar and he prayed, the power of God came. The fire of God fell. Others knew who the real God was. The fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. And Elijah made sure he wanted everybody to know who Yahweh was because he drenched that sacrifice. He poured gallons and gallons of water on that sacrifice, making it almost impossible for that fire to burn up the sacrifice. It burned up not only the sacrifice, but all of the stones that were laying around. They just completely disappeared. That fire was so hot. And when all the people saw what the Lord had done, they fell on their faces and they cried, Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is Yahweh. May the whole world know he is God because we're crying out to him to send the fire. Will you stand to your feet? Somebody say amen. amen. Thought I'd get you all on that one. Someone bought that broken down house and they made it a beauty again. And my prayer today is, Lord, make us beautiful again on the inside because we're calling out to you. Make your church beautiful again. Our lay leader mentioned about our congregational vote this coming Sunday, a week from today. And I want you to know that there's a prayer vigil that will be happening on Friday and Saturday of this upcoming week leading up to that vote. We're asking people to take 15 minutes and to cry out to God. Not to get what we want, but to get the outcome that the Lord wants. So I'm going to encourage you right after this service, right on your way to Candy in the Courtyard, if you will sign a slot. If you say, I don't know how to do that, Brother Chris, how to pray. Get with two or three other people and, and just together, just yearn for God to work in the life of this church. We saw these precious children here today. Folks, we have generations of opportunity before us. We need to be so centered in God and dependent on Him and trusting Him to send the fire.